Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Dorenda Wilson Podcast. I'm Dorenda Wilson, wife to one, mom to eight, nana to nine, and 26-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm also the author of The Unhurried Homeschooler, a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart, which is a devotional written specifically for homeschool moms, and The Four-Hour School Day how you and your kids can thrive in the homeschool life. You can find all three of those books on Amazon. You can also find them at my website, DorendaWilson.com. And the four-hour school day you should be able to find at just about any of your favorite booksellers in addition to the two other places that I mentioned. Well, I'm excited because I have been mentoring moms in my online community. And this has been going on for a few months now. And I'm telling you, it has just been such a delight. So I would love for you to listen in for just a minute for a little more detail on the Simply Unhurried community. Have you ever heard the phrase, more isn't better, sometimes it's just more? The Simply Unhurried community is here to unburden you, to help you find joy in slowing down and simplifying your homeschooling so you can enjoy this journey with your kids. A while back, I created the Unhurried Homeschooler Mentoring Course. Throughout these videos, I help moms understand what it looks like to take a more simple, unhurried approach to homeschooling at all the different grade levels. This video course is free to all members of the Simply Unhurried community. You can watch the videos at your own pace or jump into a group that's watching them together and discussing them along the way. In addition to the course, you'll find other topics like general homeschooling, unhurried homeschooling at all age levels, and homeschooling struggling learners, as well as resources, practical tips, and conversation that will inspire and encourage you. So please click the link in the show notes and begin to find what you need to simplify, slow down, and love the homeschooling life that God's given you. Well, today I'm going to share my story about having eight (laughs) C-sections. When people hear that I've had eight C-sections, they usually look at me and say, but you can't do that. And I look at them and say, well, clearly you can, but I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) So today I want to share our story, how we ended up with eight C-sections. Um, I want you to know that I am just telling our story. I'm not advising for your particular situation, um, but and I'm not making any like major declarations, but I am going to share a couple of things that I'm hoping you will take from our story. All right, so when I got pregnant with our first child, we were so excited. I tried to do all the, you know, the quote unquote right things, eat well, exercise, take good care of myself. Um, But at one of my first exams, my doctor mentioned just in passing that I was small. He just mentioned that word, um, small in the pelvic area. You know, he said not side to side, but front to back. I didn't really know what that meant. Um, And I heard actually nothing more about it for the rest of the pregnancy. When I was uh, finally 10 days overdue, quote unquote, 
the doctor thought it would be a good idea to induce the baby so that she wouldn't get too big. Now, I'm going to stop there for just a second, and I want to define that term overdue because what happens when you go to uh, the doctor typically is they ask you when your last period was, and they assume that you ovulated around day 14. Well, I found out much later that I actually was a late ovulator. I tended to ovulate closer to, you know, um, 18, 19, 20. With one of my kids, it was like 36 days because we were under a bunch of stress. And so your body just, it's not a robot. It is organic. It is, there's so many things that tie together. Everything's connected. So if you're stressed, it can put off ovulation, which is what happened for me with our second. And um, so that would make the due date much later. So, um, so the whole idea that, you know, someone is overdue, and I know that most of us get like ultrasounds to confirm the due date, which is helpful. Um, But again, I really believe we have to go back to the fact that our bodies are not robots. Um, Our bodies are very organic. Like I said, everything is interconnected and we need to bear that in mind. We also need to bear in mind that we don't all deliver or even finish up our babies at the same rate. I know moms who their normal time to deliver is several days overdue because that's just how their body works. And the baby comes when the baby is ready to come. And there are certain um, indicators or certain things that happen within a mom's body, as long as there's not a bunch of interference, um, that help uh, help her go into labor at just the right time. So I was overdue. And so I thought, okay, well, all right, we'll go in, we'll, we'll get induced. And, you know, I was actually relieved to at least be making some effort toward finally being able to see our baby girl. You know, that nine months feels like such a long, long wait. And then when you go overdue and everybody's asking you when you're going to have that baby, it's, it's frustrating. It makes you feel this sense of urgency that really is actually unnecessary. But I checked in at 9 p.m. Now, looking back, I'm thinking to myself, why 9 p.m.? Why did they start my induction at 9 p.m.? The only thing that I could think of is one, that they were in some sort of hurry. But the second thing was, yeah, I mean, I don't know why I couldn't come the next morning and just start in the morning because what's that going to do? That's just going to put me in pre-labor all night long, right? I'm going to be exhausted by morning, which is exactly what happened. But anyway... But what works out best for the the doctor, I think a lot of the time, is if I get all that out of the way and then he can come in and hopefully deliver the baby during the daylight hours. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. So that right there is kind of a red flag to me. I realize not all doctors are like that, but I think for the most part, that is not uncommon. Okay, so I was given prostaglandin to ripen my cervix, which... I found out way later, not actually a good idea, but here we go. Prostaglandin to ripen my cervix because my body wasn't ready for Pitocin. Now, what does that tell you? If my cervix wasn't ready for Pitocin, maybe I just wasn't ready yet. And this is something I learned much later, but I didn't know any of these things. I just went in there to have my baby, right? So I had some contractions off and on all night long. And by morning, I was ready for Pitocin. So I continued to contract throughout the day, but dilation just wasn't 
happening. So by early afternoon, the doctor came in and checked me, gave me two options. Continue with the induction or have a C-section. Well, at that point, I was flipping exhausted. Like not, not because I'd had so much intense labor, but because I'd been up all night pretty much, you know? And so at that point, you're just, you're weak. You don't really know what to do. You're, I was in tears. Um, And so I was discouraged. I was exhausted. I broke down sobbing. And at that point, we decided that a C-section would be the best option. You know, like I mentioned before, looking back, our decision um, would have been very different knowing what we know now. Well, I think my, the choice I would have made was go home. Well, first of all, I just wouldn't even started the whole induction process, um, realizing that I just wasn't ready. But um, at that point, if I had done that and there was no progress, I, I would have gone home, rested up and waited longer for the baby to let me know that she was ready. Um. Like I said, I probably wouldn't have let them induce me in the first place because the reality was that my dates were off. And uh, like I said before, I had longer cycles. And when she was born, finally born, and they actually could look at her and tell me like how late she probably was, she was only about three days late. So that information was sort of tucked away. um, And later I revisited it. um, And I'll share that with you as the story progresses. So when I got pregnant with our second child, I asked my doctor about the possibility of a VBAC because I'm thinking, well, if I if I can do it the other day, other way, that would be great. So he said that he would see how big the baby got, but the fact that I was quote unquote small still hadn't changed. So further along in the pregnancy, I asked him what he thought percentage wise was my chance of delivering vaginally. I figured that would help give my answer, would help me push over. Like if I were over 50% chance, I would go for it. I didn't tell him that, but I was thinking that in my head. He said I had about a 40% chance. And after all I'd been through with the first, the thought of going through all of that again um, and then going home and taking care of a toddler at home just sounded horrible to me. And at that point, my husband and I had a, a plan of just having no more than three children at the most. So I didn't concern myself with it too much. I figured I just wanted my baby here safely. Um, So we planned another C-section and Jenna was born a whopping six pounds, but healthy and strong, nice, strong, lusty lungs. (laughs) She She was great. Now our third baby was a healthy little boy and we pretty much thought we were done. However, when it came to actually doing anything permanent about it, as in a vasectomy, um, I had some huge reservations and I drug my feet on agreeing to stop growing our family. Um, I mentioned these hesitations to my husband and, um, you know, as the desires of my heart started to surface and I realized that deep down inside, I had always wanted a large family. So I continued to pray about this and I kept sharing my heart with my husband. And as hard as I tried to not push him, sometimes I felt like I was failing. And because uh, this desire was just so strong. But I've asked him several times since then if he felt like I had pushed him at all. And he emphatically says, no, I did not feel like that at all. 
But what ended up happening is he spent a ton of time searching the scriptures and trying to find a biblical basis for deciding to be done. In other words, he was looking for a a verse in the Bible that would help him justify a vasectomy. Okay, he didn't find one. And at one point he looked at me and said, I don't see any reason that God has given in his word that we should stop having kids. I think we should trust him for the size of our family. And I was ecstatic. And then I was a bit scared. Thinking about continued C-sections, but knowing in my heart of hearts that we were walking in obedience to God. You know, I heard someone say recently, and this was so good, we are not in the results business. We are in the obedience business. It's our job to be yielding to the Lord and asking Him for wisdom. And of course, the more we're in the Word, the more we're going to understand what God's voice sounds like and the kind of counsel that He would actually give us. And so at that point, um, there was a shift in our mindset in terms of having children. And I share this in a podcast um, that I will uh, link in the show notes that you can go and listen to where my husband and I talk about that whole story about, and he shares his perspective on how his heart changed and how he sees things now, um, you know, all these years down the road with basically seven adult children. Um, and, you know, our eighth is, uh, he's 17 now. So um let me just give you a little a little spoiler alert. Absolutely not one single regret. <laughs> okay, so moving on, we got pregnant with our fourth child. And I actually talked with a midwife about the possibility of a VBAC. She didn't seem overly enthusiastic and I was really prayerful about the whole thing. Someone else had encouraged me to sort of like pursue and per- just pursue it and check out the possibilities Um just for my own health and that kind of thing. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do that. But like I said, this particular midwife, I prayed ahead of time. I was like, Lord, would you help her to just be enthusiastic? Like help her to be really um, encouraging if this is something I'm supposed to do. Um, But I think at the end of the day, it really just wasn't fully in my heart to do at that point. I was so unsure of myself and and I knew that this might be my last chance to even try. And the midwife was, you know, she listened to me and she said, well, it sounds like you're actually really comfortable with your decision. So basically she kind of advised me to just move forward with whatever I felt the most, you know, comfortable with or what it sounded like I was comfortable with. So I took that as my answer and I moved forward with that. So our second son was born healthy, strong, with a head full of black hair. And he was the first one that we actually didn't know the gender ahead of time. I really actually thought he was going to be a girl. So I was thrilled that our little guy, Jake, now had a little brother. And um, after that, the C-sections were basically a given. And I scheduled our uh, fifth and our sixth children, both um, another more healthy boys. Um, but after each birth, my doctor would give us a report on how my uterus looked. Like, what does it look like? Could it handle another pregnancy and C-section? Um, he would share if he thought, you know, I could in- 
go through another pregnancy with a fairly low risk. Um, And each birth resulted in a good report. We were very careful to pray and ask for wisdom and give my body some time to heal. So most of our kids are born about two years or less apart. So there was about a year between birth and getting pregnant again, which, um, you know, I think was, was probably good. But while pregnant with our seventh, so after I had our sixth, doctor said, listen, it would be, it's more dangerous for you to get in the car and drive down the road than it would be for you to have another baby. I was like, okay, we'll move forward then. So um, while I was pregnant with our seventh, we had this shift that happened. Um, I started doing some reading and I began to wonder if I had really needed all those surgeries. Now, now why I was revisiting this at this time um, is a bit of a mystery to me, but kind of not because of what God did in all of it. So we actually had a midwife friend who we talked quite a bit with about how we were feeling. had a, several conversations with her, and I made an appointment with her to have her just like, let's just start with checking to see if my body was in fact too quote unquote small to birth vaginally. So could she just do an exam? Tell me what she thought. Give me her perspective. So that's where the value in a second opinion comes in. So I made the mistake of believing every single thing my doctor said. And we know that doctors aren't perfect. And we also know that we're responsible for our health. And we are responsible for the health of our baby, ultimately. That falls on our shoulders before God. Now, there are people out there who would disagree and say, no, it falls on the doctor's shoulders. But before God, this falls on our shoulders. And so... um, So I thought, you know, I'm going to take responsibility here and I'm going to have her check me out and see what she says. So she checked me and she actually looked at me and said, I'm not actually sure what the doctor was talking about. She said, you know, you could have had at least a nine pound baby. And honestly, that was really hard to hear. I realized at that point that I had been lied to. I had been deceived and I had just put my faith in the doctor instead of in God. And of course, that's where I was at the time. I'm not looking back and saying God is not sovereign over all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because now I get to be here today and I get to tell you my story and encourage you in a potentially different direction. So uh, after that, you know, I shared that with my husband and he was really disappointed and bummed. So we did some serious praying, a lot of thinking, a lot of processing. um, And we also began to learn more about how resilient the uterus really can be. It's a muscle that can be strengthened. And we also learned, you know, the way that a woman's body was made to give birth, like more from a, I don't want to say biblical perspective, but, and and I know there are people out there who are, are teaching that and it's great. But at that moment for me, that really wasn't what, we weren't like looking into scripture and trying to pull stuff out. We were just thinking about creator God. And I think, why wouldn't he make our bodies to do this? Yes, we're going to experience pain in childbirth. 
But I think the conclusion that I came to was the interference that happens so often in a hospital setting is really taking away from the experience um, that I believe God meant for us to have. Um, I know there are good doctors out there. I know there are good intentions, but there are hospital policies and people come through just like with any institution. There's got to be all these rules and policies for kind of the herd. And the reality is we are all originally created by God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And all of our bodies do different things, especially when it comes to childbirth. There will be some similarities sometimes, but I don't believe any birth is exactly the same because we serve a a very creative God who created us all differently. You know, we know that when it comes to teaching our kids at home and homeschooling them, but think about it in terms of us and our bodies and the way that God created us. And so we were thinking about how resilient the uterus can be and learning more about that and the way that a woman's body was made to do this. And so we asked this midwife if she would be comfortable letting us try to birth this baby vaginally. Now I'm going to stop right here and going to say that some of you are probably listening and gasping right now. Why in the world would you do this? And the only reason that I can give to you is it was very prayed over, very thought through. My husband and I were in agreement on it. And there was a peace that I cannot explain. Okay. So I look back and I think, boy, if I were someone on the outside looking in, I would have said we were crazy. Like, why would we do that? That would be such a risk to us and to our baby and blah, blah, blah. I mean, even now, I would have some serious questions with somebody who tried to do that. But all I know is in the moment, in that moment, in that season, we had total and complete peace about it. But it wasn't going to happen if we didn't have a midwife. So we asked her about, we asked this midwife friend, and we didn't want her to do it just because we were friends. And we told her, please don't tell us yes, if this is not what you feel God is calling you to do. So again, a fellow believer with a strong relationship with the Lord and massive amounts, massive amounts of, of childbirth experience. Okay. She prayed about it for a really long time. And she finally got back to us and she said, I feel like God is calling me to this. Like we, I'm, I'm willing to work with you. I'm willing to care for you. And so we went down that road with a midwife, um, experiencing the whole, you know, um, prenatal experience with a midwife. And I'm telling you the prenatal experience with a midwife versus a doctor, I can't even tell you the difference, you guys. It was so peaceful. It was so warm and so friendly, and it just felt like home. And I loved that. I could bring my kids, and <clears throat> you know, it was just so friendly. She had a, a, a birthing place in her own home, and that's where she saw her patients. And oh, it was just, I can't even tell you the difference. It was night and day. But again, that information, that experience tucked away and also being walked out in front of our kids. Okay, so at this point, our oldest kids were 11 and nine. Our girls were 11 and nine. And then it was the four little boys after that. Okay, so now we're in that time where we're seeing this midwife feeling super peaceful about everything. <clears throat> Excuse me, getting our share of 
flack from a few people, but mostly we had some really great support. So here we are in that season, and our doctor got wind of what we were trying to do. And he sent us a letter basically stating that neither he or anyone in his practice would ever have anything to do with us or the delivery of that baby. He completely cut us off. Now, I basically he needed to do this because that if anything, if anything went wrong, he would have no legal ramifications. And I, I get that. I understand that part of it. But it felt like such a betrayal um, because we'd gotten to know him. He delivered six babies and we considered him a friend. His wife had made quilts uh, for one of our, our babies and actually a couple of our babies. And so that was just really hard. It was really hard. But we, we moved forward and we continued through the pregnancy. And as we did, we learned so much about trusting God, just walking that journey out, um, trusting him in new and bigger ways. We also made some amazing friends during that season, uh, friends in the homeschooling community, but also friends in our childbirth class. And these friends, many of them are still very, very dear friends 20 years later. It just makes me stop and think. It's so much of the time these experiences aren't about what we think they're about. They're about the journey and what God does in that journey. There's so many ways that our faith grew during that time. And so again, the whole experience was more about the journey than it was about birthing a certain way. God had so much for us in all of it. So with my scheduled C-sections, um, they usually scheduled them 10 days to two weeks early because, you know, they didn't want the uterus to implode and, you know, that sort of thing. But with this baby, I went two and a half weeks overdue my due date. So two and a half weeks past my due date. So that put me about a month later than I would have delivered if we had scheduled her, okay? So I'm at two and a half weeks and I finally went into labor on my own. I had regular contractions every 10 minutes all night long. And I remember it as being just a very peaceful and sweet time just with me and God and my baby. And so then I called the midwife in the morning and uh, she was actually really glad to hear from me because she was starting to get a little concerned and had been, uh, you know, she'd been up much of the night praying. And so we, I could tell like we were very much on the same page. She was, um, she was very tuned in to what was going on with me. The fact that she was up that night praying the same night that I was doing this early labor. Um, it's just a God thing. So she came to check me, and by then the contractions had kind of tapered off, which often happens in early labor. So she wanted to just like check and see if I was dilating or not. So she did that, and she looked at me and she said, you know, I can only feel a dent. I actually can't even feel like an opening. So apparently what had happened was my cervix had scar tissue over top of it from all the surgeries. And so there was basically no way that that baby was coming out vaginally. So I was at that point thinking, 
what are we going to do now? Like, we don't have a doctor. We don't have a surgeon. So I told my husband, and I asked him what we should do. And his answer absolutely shocked me. He said, we should call our old doctor and have him do the surgery. Well, after the betrayal from that doctor, I so did not want to do that. I did not want to do that. But he began to explain it, and it actually made sense to me. That doctor knew my body better than anybody. And he was a good surgeon, and he would certainly do an excellent job because he would also, on the human side, feel somewhat redeemed as well. So I knew my husband was right, and I knew I needed to yield to that. Um, And so we just kept in mind that the goal was to get the baby here as safely and as soon as possible. And that actually, his plan, my husband's plan, was actually the best way to do that. So we called him, and he was very willing to do the C-section. He didn't hassle me going in. We just got in there and had the baby, you know, delivered. But afterward, um, he did say one thing to me when he walked in before the surgery. He looked at me and said, you have been a very bad girl. And I looked at him and I said, well, if that's the worst thing that you're going to say to me, I can live with that. (laughs) And we just kind of laughed. So we went in, we had the surgery, but afterward, he gave me this huge, long speech about my uterus, the risks. I mean, he drew pictures on the whiteboard, the whole nine yards. Never had that experience with this doctor before. But I'm pretty sure that this was more about him than it was about me. And as always, we prayed about what he said. We did not want to just, you know, toss it off to the wayside. That would be foolishness. We prayed through it and we asked the Lord, you know, what, you know, what you have, what he had for us in the future. But let me just say here that looking back, I wonder what in the world I was thinking. I shared this before. I am more conscious now of the dangers that were involved in that decision. And yet I am convinced that God, that was God's plan for us. You know, we were very prayerful about all of it. It wasn't, I wasn't just out to prove something. That was not my intention. Um, We just wanted to follow God's lead, my husband and I did. And ultimately what we wanted was to honor God in all of our decisions, including how we have our babies. So that baby arrived safely. She was only seven pounds, three ounces. And I wondered, you know, because she was so, she was so small, that much overdue, I wonder how very tiny and possibly premature she would have been had she been born a month earlier. Um, But she came to us healthy and strong and beautiful. And we finally had another girl after four boys in a row. And this was the only other out of our eight kids that we didn't know the gender. So until she was born. And so it was just, it was very sweet. And um, God was just, we saw his fingerprints in his hand um, throughout all of it. So fast forward and we... um, We prayed about whether or not we should move forward with having more children, and we we still felt a peace about it in spite of the doctor's speech at the end of the last pregnancy. So 
when we had found when we found out that our eighth was coming, uh, we had actually moved to a completely different part of the state. Um, all our kids had been born in the same hospital with the same doctor. And so we moved to this uh, different part of the state. I had no idea how to find a good doctor for what I would need, an eighth C-section. So I just prayed. I actually ended up going, my husband and I went to the Crisis Pregnancy Center to have our first ultrasound. I asked the volunteers there about uh, local doctors, and they all kept mentioning one doctor in particular. Um because he volunteered there at the Pregnancy Crisis Center. And I'm like, okay, so this guy's a believer. He, he believes in the sanctity of life. That's a doctor that I want to go to. And I had actually heard his name from some other moms as well. And so that's who I ended up going to. Um, like I said before, it turns out he was a Christian and he actually was an amazing surgeon. Um, he listened to the things that I didn't like about our other experiences. He was actually quite surprised um, uh, with kind of how they handled the pain meds and things like that. And we actually had the bir- the best C-section Ever. That was our best birth ever. It was so smooth and so um, painless for me, which was really great because this particular baby was born with transposition of the greater arteries and two holes in his heart, ended up having open heart surgery at three days old. And we didn't know it until the day that he was born. I found it very interesting because he, we did the ultrasounds. Um, they said his heart looked great. But right before um, I was due to go in, like the Friday before, I was supposed to go in like a Wednesday um, to have a, I was scheduled the next Wednesday, but my amniotic fluid was low. So they um, sent me home to just hydrate really well over the weekend because it was still early September, so still a little warm where we lived. So I did all of that. And on Sunday, they had me go into the hospital and have another ultrasound. And um, that is a whole other story. And I actually do share that story in another podcast. So I will share the link to that so you can hear about that crazy, amazing story. That's totally a God story. But, you know, at the end of the day, what I'm hoping for, as I have shared our story, is that you see God's sovereignty over our lives, that you see God's sovereignty over our story. We can tell the story now and look back and see how he weaved everything together, but we couldn't see that while we were walking it out. We were called to obedience. We were called to yield our childbearing to the Lord. And, and you know, the thing that I also wanted to share was that we saw um, our girls our girls who were 11 and 9, watch all of this play out. And I became more educated and I became more aware of the choice that women have. They really do have a choice. Um, A lot of women do have a choice to have a birth outside of a hospital. And, you know, that should be your choice. Um, Of course, you walk that out with wisdom, but, it, but, you know, if you think about how many interventions happen in the hospital, and we can try to minimize those. Um, my, you know, my girls learned from that particular scenario, and 
They have very interesting birth journeys as well, but they started out with the mentality that our bodies were made to do this. And so, you know, question. It's okay to question. If you have doubts about what you're being told, listen to your gut instinct. Get a second opinion. Maybe go see a midwife. Maybe you're not going to use the midwife for your birth, but maybe you need some perspective and some affirmation that your gut feeling is right. So what has ended up happening is ultimately um, our oldest daughter has, um, she had a couple of hospital births. That was a whole other story (laughs) that again, I have done podcasts with her on, but the last two births have been beautiful home births in her bathtub. And our other daughter had two hospital births, um, very fast labors, very smooth labors. Um, Her next birth is a planned home birth. So you can see how our story and the way that um, we were willing to walk that out in obedience to the Lord and to, you know, take in and learn, learn more about what our options are, learn more about how a woman's body was made to do this, thinking about it with the creator in mind, not thinking about childbirth as a disease. I feel like so much of the time, it's like, it's this big, scary thing. Yes, it's a big deal. Absolutely. But I believe that childbirth is as much a spiritual experience as it is a physical experience. And those of you who have birthed will probably know exactly what I'm talking about. But my point is to, is for you to say, see with me how, as we tell our story, how God was sovereign over all of that and how he positively, in a really beautiful way, impacted the next generation. So did I, was I ever able to have a vaginal birth? No, but I'm, I'm not sorry for that. I trust that that was God's plan for me for whatever reason. And now I can be here encouraging you to move forward in a way that uh, maybe you hadn't thought of before, taking your childbearing to the Lord and yielding it to him. I want to, you know, I want your takeaway to be um, encouragement in a couple of areas to trust the God-given process of childbirth. Exercise wisdom as you walk that out. The goal isn't the ideal birth as much as it is a birth that is yielded to God because we make our plans absolutely have a birth plan, you know, absolutely know what you would like, know what you feel led to uh, write down in that birth plan. But like every plan, as Proverbs says, we make our plans, but God directs our steps. Be open to how God might direct you in all of that. But have your advocates, have a doula, a midwife if you want to, but have a doula, have someone who can speak for you and on your behalf, because it's really difficult, especially when you're in a hospital setting, to make good decisions without support. So I love um, the idea of having a doula if you're going to be in the hospital. And your husband can be a really great support too, but depending on their personality, sometimes they're, they're best to be your support in a different way and you might need a doula um, to uh, be there with you. Or consider a home birth. 
Look into that. The more you look into it, the more you will find moms who have done it and who can encourage you and give you, um, you know, just give you that encouragement that you need um, as God leads. So exercise wisdom, understand how God so beautifully made women to have children. This is a privilege, moms. This is not, oh, it is so God from start to finish. It's his life that he creates. It's his miracle. It's his, that little baby is fearfully and wonderfully made by him. Do you think he's just going to leave you on your own as you go into the process of delivering that child into this world? Make no mistake, the enemy is after the children of, of the godly. Okay, so I don't want to make this more heavy than it needs to be, but I think an awareness um, that the enemy does love to get in there and he does love to, to mess with things as much as he can. And our job, like I said, is to yield that to the Lord, yield it to the Lord, walk in obedience to him. Don't let fear drive you. I think that happens really quickly when we're taking on that responsibility of bearing a child, you know, growing the child and then delivering the child. And we often can easily give in to fear. But I think that would probably be your biggest and and top battle that you want to make sure that you are waging well and you are going to the word and you are addressing anything, any fears that you have and you are allowing the Lord to give you wisdom regarding those fears and not letting fear get get a foothold. And the second way that I want you to be encouraged, and I've already said this a couple of times, but I'm just going to end with this, sort of wrapping it up. Yield your childbearing to God. Yield that childbirth, your childbirth to God. Let him lead you in every decision. He is so faithful and he will have a testimony um, for you to share with others. Moms, be supportive of one another. You know, Having having eight C-sections, um, you know, there were some hard things about it. The recovery was hard, but I never allowed myself to, to, to fall into self-pity with that. Oh, I couldn't have a vaginal birth, so now I've got this difficult, you know, recovery. Yeah, it was difficult. Yes, it was painful. There were times it was really painful. But God was so good and faithful to keep me through all of it. And um, we need to keep the Lord ever before us. And because he is before us and because he's at our right hand, we will not be shaken. One other quick story that I want to tell is after I had my seventh, because I'd done all this research, um, I also had sort of in my back pocket, a resource for if I had to have another C-section, what was the best way for that C-section to heal? And it turns out that um, what I ended up doing was I took castor oil and I mixed frankincense and myrrh with it. And I rubbed that on my incision as soon as I could start doing that. And then I put um, like a gauze or some sort of... Um, uh, fabric there. And then I literally wrapped saran wrap around me to hold it in place. And I did this every night so that those oils and all of that could soak in and, you know, help my uterus heal 
better and help that incision. It also helps to reduce scar tissue because that was another thing that they needed to take out. Every time I had a C-section, they had to remove the scar tissue. So fast forward, I have my eighth baby. We go through all that we went through with him. And literally, I don't remember how many years later, a few years later, a friend of mine came to me and she said, you're not going to believe this. She said, I just talked to a nurse that was in your C-section with your last baby. And she told me, and she didn't, here's the thing. She didn't know that my friend knew me. So she wasn't divulging anything and she wasn't divulging my name, but my friend knew it was me because really how many people go up for their eighth C-section in one city, right? So it was definitely me. So this nurse said to her, I was in a C-section where this was the patient's eighth C-section. And she said, she had a beautiful uterus. Oh my gosh, you guys, I laughed so hard. It was like, it was like a victory. Here I'd gone through all these C-sections. My uterus should look like crud. It should look like a, a rag, right? She said, It didn't look like she'd had any more than three C-sections. Now, whether that was just God and God alone or whether he used those essential oils to heal my uterus, to give me wisdom, to know how to best recover after our seventh so that I would have a strong uterus for our eighth, I don't know. It's a mystery. All I know is I see God everywhere in that story. And it was just a wonderful way to to end you know our years of childbearing now i will say one of our prayers was that we would never have to make a permanent decision like actively take um measures to keep from having children so you're probably wondering what the doctor said after the eighth baby right well um, I didn't find this like find out what the nurse said till way later, but the doctor said after the surgery, you're totally fine. You could definitely have another baby in another C-section. <laughs> Can you guys believe that? Isn't that crazy? I was just like, wow, God, you are so good. And so we never had, my ne- husband never had to go get a vasectomy to be sure I didn't get pregnant because it would be dangerous for me. And I never had to to take measures for, you know, birth control to stop it. We just went into those years and we had two more pregnancies that both ended in miscarriage. I was in my 40s when they happened. And, you know, that was it. God never gave us any more children after that. So it was just sort of this phase out. Even though I'd had all these C-sections, we had like a natural phase out. And to this day, I'm now in menopause and um, I still have all my parts. And so so there you go. We're going to end on that note. (laughs) So I just want to encourage you, um, tune into the Lord, listen to his direction, listen to his voice. Yield to him in every area of your life, including childbirth. Thanks so much for being here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that these babies you send us are fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord, you are such a good God. You love us and you are the giver of life. You are the one who determines how many days we're going to live and how many days our children are going to live. So Lord, we thank you that we can entrust 
our children to you. We can entrust our bodies to you. In fact, we can offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to you, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service. Lord, we owe you everything. And so I just want to, with these other moms here, come to you and just bring our bodies before you, God. Thank you for making us able to bear children. We are the only people on the planet who can do this. And it is such a privilege and such an honor. May we not ever feel resentful about it. May we never respond in any kind of bitterness or ungratefulness for this great privilege of bearing children and raising them up to advance the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray for fruitfulness over these listeners, Lord. I pray for the mom who's been struggling to get pregnant. Would you just cause her to become pregnant soon? And would you keep that baby? Keep that baby and let that baby come to them healthy and strong. For moms who have been struggling with fertility, Lord, I pray your blessing of fertility over these moms. God, I thank you for them. I thank you for their hearts and for their desire to have children. God, I ask that you would grant them that desire as you granted Hannah that desire as she poured out her heart before you and literally looked like a drunken fool before the priest, Lord. We, you know our hearts, God. You know what we are made for. What we, what we love is to, is to nurture and to bear children. And we ask that you would help us to have a mindset that is biblical towards children, that they are a blessing to a righteous man. May we be walking in righteousness so that our children will be a blessing and we will raise them up for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.